Welcome to Idaho Speaks, the place to learn about candidates and issues important to Idaho. My name is Ed, and I created this channel to overcome the media bias that plagues our communities and our state. When presented all the information, I believe you, the voter, will make the best decision for our future. At Idaho Speaks, we will give you the side of the story being hidden by mainstream media and big tech giants. My name is David Worley, and I'm the Southeast Idaho interviewer for the Idaho Speaks team. Our goal is to give you, the voter, as much access as possible to the field of state and local candidates around Idaho. Ed and I both do interviews, so if you as a candidate find yourself in a situation where you need to speak directly to the voters and are having trouble getting through the mainstream media, please reach out and we will do our best to get you on the program. We want to give Republican and conservative candidates a platform to communicate their ideas in a long-form format so that you, the voter, has the best information available to make your choice on Election Day. Idaho Speaks, your issues, your candidates, your state. With us today, we have Flint Christensen, who is running for Congress in District 2. That's correct. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, thanks for coming on the program. Now, I understand this is your first interview with Idaho Speaks, correct? This is pretty much my first interview anywhere. Okay. All right. Well, happy to be your first one. Well, let's just start out with the basics then. So who are you and why are you running? I am born and raised in, well, I grew up in Rigby, Idaho, to a family of 13 children and 13 stepchildren. So it was- uh, It's quite the crew. Uh, yes. And uh, um, I've always been in, well, mostly always been in Idaho, except for my tours of duty in Iraq, Afghanistan, and when I was a um, managing director for the- Rough Rider Event Center in North Dakota. So you said your tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. What branch of service was that? I was regular army. Okay. And that was from, oh, well, 2003, I think, until 2009 or 10, something like that. All right. Good deal. <laughs> so why are you running for Congress? <sighs> I am running for Congress because I guess it came down to a bit of a crisis of faith. I was trying to find somebody that I could cheer on. Some I'm just waiting for somebody else to step up to the plate. And that person never came, and I thought, well, I guess uh, time for me to step up. So is there any particular issue or something that you know stood out that you said, hey, I, I really want to make the sacrifice to run because you know, running for office isn't easy. So is there some particular set of issues or some event or something that triggered this decision? I think it's been a long buildup. I probably, like a lot of your listeners, I've, I've been everywhere on the spectrum from, well, I'll just vote Republican down the party ticket because that's what I'm supposed to do, to not voting at all, to listening daily to, you know, your Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, um, well, it was probably 2017 when just the state of things personally going on with my family and everything, I just, I kind of had that, holy crap, things are, things are happening. And you can kind of, I don't know if it's just this palpable sense, that something's going on behind the scenes and you can, you know, you're not being told everything. 
So I'm coming at it from a position of completely in the dark to how do I educate myself? And I've heard the the platitudes that, well, we're going down the wrong path. We need to, you know, fix our constitution. Well, I had to ask myself, fix what? You know, if I can't identify specifically where we went wrong, then I'm just I'm still part of the problem. So I had to ask myself, you know, where where did we go wrong? And if the country is truly headed in the wrong direction, when did that happen? So then I started delving into any books I could find. Um, everything from 1619 Project to, you know, books Glenn Beck wrote to basically everything. Um, the works of Cleon Skousen. Uh, anything I could find to say, hey, where are we coming from? Because everybody, anybody had a voice, you know, if you can read through the garbage of the 1619 project, which I had to endure. It's, you can, I, I, I just started educating myself. Well, let's explore that further then. So, so what do you think is the problem that needs to be solved? Well, it's definitely a very long conversation, but I say that where we went wrong was in the passing of the 16th and 17th amendments. We took away the power of the purse and the power of that true representation what makes us a republic, and not to be crass, but we neutered the states. Mm-hmm. So with the 16th Amendment, we gave the power of the purse, we took it away from the states, and we handed that to the federal government, the ability for them to tax us directly. Uh, I want to restore that back to the states. I want the government to be petitioning each state for the money that they desperately need for defense or whatever. that, that That's a massive power that we've just given away. And I don't hear any voice that wants to pull that back. Well, that's not entirely true, but the voices in my opposition, I'm, that's not what's coming across to me. The 17th Amendment is probably uh, much less romantic to fight against, and that is the, the authority, that voice, that element for, you know, we are a, gun- a country founded on principles of checks and balances. And one of those checks and balances is the, that, that level of democracy that once people find out that they can give themselves gifts from the treasury, we're on a downhill climb or downhill descent, I should say, and that's where we're at right now. So if I had to hang my hat on two main issues, it would be that and frankly, just educating the people. Um, as I've started my campaign, it has been one of education, and I try to pass that on to the people. Here's what I've learned. This was the process that I went through for submitting Declaration of Candidacy. These are the hurdles that I am a genuine outsider, a political nobody. I'm sure when people are like, holy crap, who's this guy? It's because I'm, I'm, I'm just a guy. I'm just a small business owner. I'm just a veteran. I'm, I'm just a, and I think that that's a great lie that the establishment has been able to convince the average person is that a, a just a isn't suitable for office. And I believe that not only is a just a suitable for office, but that's what will fix this system. I think it was William F. Buckley who said, I'd rather be ruled by the first hundred people in the phone book than the faculty of Yale. I think he's right. So I'm a just uh, running for office. And okay. I'm running against 
Um, you know, if I if I were to pull up their their campaign pledges, the edicts, the platitudes, it's hard for me to disagree with anything that either candidate says. I mean, we're all conservatives swimming in the same soup. So it's what they're not saying that to me is is very alarming. And I don't want another establishment. Um, I myself have pledged to only be a two-term. So, yes, I understand what you're saying, that there's obviously, like, those two amendments had significant issues, you know, being able to tax directly from the people to the income tax, which we're concerned about. Correct. And then also having the senators no longer be chosen by the state legislatures. Correct. So those are, I mean, those have been two uh, modern amendments that a lot of, you're right, a lot of conservative voice has appointed to as being that these are modifications of the Constitution that corrupted the original design and gave um, the undue power to the federal government and also, you know, made the Senate basically kind of a, instead of being representatives of the states, became basically the House, but with longer terms. So, so I think those are very valid arguments, but obviously being in Congress, you know, two amendments of the Constitution— those are very important, but those are high bars to pass and are hard things to get done. So in terms of your other responsibilities as a congressman, what are some other things that are part of your platform that are important to the people of Idaho? What I want to be is an educator to the process. I want to get more people involved. I want to... A big part of my push is to educate people on the process. And what that entails is, as I'm going through the process, I'm very, um, I, I put out a lot of information like this, this was the process for declaring candidacy. This was the, um, these are the groups that I've interacted with. Um, I'm probably going to tick off a lot of people with the level of transparency when I've been approached by any um, lobbyists which I've, that kind of surprised me just in my simple uh, declarations that I made even before I formally submitted. I got emails coming in saying, hey, we'd like to help and, and please call our representative with this and that. And it's like, wow, so that's how it starts, just like that. Okay, so even just looking at running, you sort of get approached. Yeah, that, there was a whole bunch of things that I've been, been taught throughout this process um, and I'll be the first to admit that I'm, I'm definitely a student in the process. I don't have the committees or the large backings that the competition has. I'm not, not quite a single man going it alone, but it feels like that in some of my undertakings. So I can appreciate what you're saying there, that there needs to be you know, part of the role of being a public servant. I think this is a lost role of the statesman, is to help educate the people and to you know, bring the issues to them and kind of raise awareness of what's going on. So we'll come back to kind of your platform and the things you're looking at. But in that vein, is there is there someone in Congress right now who you would say is someone who's doing the job well or someone who you'd like to model yourself on? Well, I appreciate the Mavericks, um, certainly because of their highlighting the issue. I don't know that they're going about it the right way. Is there a specific person Oh, I like Bobart. I like, that's how you say her name, right? From uh, Colorado. 
I'm, I'm not quite sure on her pronunciation either. Uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, basically anybody that's not part of the establishment um, in today's culture. I just know in my heart of hearts that that evil exists and that evil men conspire, evil men and women. But uh, so my my level of trust for that isn't to the point where it's it's militant, but it is to the point where, for me, it's almost the opposite. I've done that. I've I've been to battle quite literally, and I think that if this process is going to be fixed and if our constitution is going to be restored, that it's through education. It's through people willing to step up and and to teach people what it, even if i'm if i would love for the opportunity to upset and change the way that that the the system and the establishment is engaging on the community level and it's it's not happening right now and it's it's destructive so let's kind of narrow this down then a little bit because those are some valid concerns. Um, so you're running for Congress, and there's going to be a whole host of issues that come before the Congress every single year. So let's kind of look at you know kind of your your understanding of government and your basic governing philosophy. So how would you describe what what is the proper role of government? Well, the proper role of government would be to protect our rights. I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, Protect the rights, yeah. Anything beyond that is is a bastardization of the process, if you will. And where do our rights come from? God. Our rights come from God. So if you're looking at right now the Congress, you know, protecting God-given rights, I agree. You know, that's the purpose of the of American government. It's what's described in the Declaration of Independence. But like we talked about before, a lot of things come before the Congress— so let's just kind of go through, you know, some of the things that come up from time to time and things that are in the news currently, because I think our listeners are going to want to know, you know, how would you tackle these issues? How would you vote? So one thing that comes up every single year, it's kind of how we do things now, is we have this massive spending package is how we fund <laughs> the government. You know, this continuing resolution. We don't really do real budgets anymore. But what's your general view on government spending and how would you vote when it comes to these omnibus spending bills and these huge packages? What, what's your views on those types of things? No. Dave Ramsey said it best. No is a complete sentence. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm not going to pass it. So you're, so you're saying you will not vote for spending increases? Not at all. Uh, beyond that, I will not vote for these omnibus emergency in the middle of the night, however they want to spin it. Save the whatever, baby sales. No, no. The power of the purse is a power that has been just given away by Congress. And certainly as your representative, I'll take that back. No, no is the answer. All right. So one of the things that also comes up from time to time, and I think this is one of the things we see, especially it's in every legislature, this is a problem, whether it's the state legislature or the national legislature. But... Uh, a lot of the reason why nothing gets done is because the party leadership, because you're running on the Republican ticket, you know, 
doesn't want to confront hard issues. They want to have votes on a lot of bills. They like to have them die in committee instead of having full debate on legislation. So just kind of want to hear what your thoughts are on how to interact with Republican leadership. You know, how will you vote in selecting leaders and, and kind of who are the people on the Hill maybe right now who you want to associate with, any caucuses, or how, how are you going to work through the process? Well, I think in answering that question, a lot of my novice will come out. So the first thing that I would do is to educate myself on who the friendly is. I don't want to get caught in friendly fire either. But uh, I think birds of a feather flock together. And when certainly when people see that I'm willing to take a stand, especially on the the crap budgets that's being pushed through, and there's never an emergency that the government doesn't like. So you can almost guarantee that I'm going to upset some feathers or upset some people when I say, you know, no, we're not going to do that. Um, there's a lot of stuff that me being a true outsider, it's difficult for me to answer that question without educating myself more. Well, let's like just be, a, let's just narrow it down then. So okay. in terms of GOP leadership, would you be willing to go against the current leadership structure in the Republican Party in Washington, D.C.? Well, I think a lot of them are Democrats part two, so yes. Okay, good deal. Well, uh, what other parts of your platform would you like to talk about? Well, that was the, those are the three main issues, is educating people on the process, um, the 16th and 17th Amendment, and just for people to convey or to convey to the people that you don't have to be an insider to win. I think you have to have an educated base. And that's kind of what I'm hanging my hat on with this campaign and why I'm coming in so late is I, I think that there's people that are just fed up with the process. And I've been told that people would vote for a stray cat over the incumbent to score <laughs> go around. Uh, I hope I'm a little better than a stray cat, and I hope people will take the time to research me, my nature, my character. I'm not, I'm even in my campaign on my website, I don't accept donations, which is massively taboo to the legislators that I've talked to that are running. Yeah. And they're like, don't do that. Don't do that. You'll, you'll fill it out. You need those funds. Maybe I do. This is, this is certainly my first go around and, so just, that's interesting. So, so you're not accepting campaign donations. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm not. How, how do you? I mean, campaigns are are cost intensive. You know, get advertisements out there, mailers, get yeah. people out there. You know, just what what's your strategy then if you're not going to? Well, the last comparable election to the one we're facing right now, I think, was 2014, and I believe that was the same one that Simpson and Smith ran against each other. Mm -hmm. And the culture is a little different. You know. There was only there was less than eighty thousand people in the entire district that even voted. That's that's crazy to me. I think that tide is turning. I think that um, how many how many people have you ever voted for based on the number of signs? Uh, number of signs, no. Um, but I'll say that I'm a little bit of a different kind of a voter. Uh, and, and, and admittedly, this audience is a different type of voter. There are people who they are going to sit and listen to a candidate talk for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. 
that's there are people who are invested in the process, but there are a lot of people who do make their decisions based on, you know, very limited information. So I just just curious what your what your plan is there. I'm I'm my my plan is that the low information voters are waking up. I know I did last election. Last election, I got sent an absentee ballot and mm-hmm. I did not request it. Oh, wow. I did not. So I know that there's some, you know, maybe that was a fluke, but I'm not the only one that I've talked to that had a ballot just sent to them. And so yeah, I that's called, happened to a lot of people. I called the, uh, the, there at the county and I said, I've just got this ballot and I didn't request it. And they said, well, you had to have requested it because we only send out for people that request it. I said, I did not request this ballot. What do I do with it? And they're like, well, just fill it in and fill it out and mail it in. I'm like, no, I want to vote in person because of the, the the culture and everything that was going on during the last election. And I thought, you know, of course, my any other election, my my interest wouldn't have been peaked. My alarm, it would have been like, oh, I got a ballot. That's different. I would just fill it out. But because of some of the alarms that some of the voices were sounding off, I thought, man, this is suspicious, And which is why I called in. And I said, what do I do? And they're like, well, you you have to dispose of this ballot you know properly and uh anyway the course of that election though it was the first time i actually had a ballot in front of me uh, aside from the absentee ballots i'd received in uh during while i was in the army while i was in the army my mind's not in that game certainly i don't care about half the candidates whatever's going back in and going on in Idaho, I just wanted to make it through the next day without getting my butt blown up, you know. So, but it was at that time when I was waking up to the process and I was just, my spidey senses were going off about corruption and whatnot. But it it, it gave me an opportunity to do something that I'd never done before. And that was truly sit down. I had all the list of candidates in front of me. I had my actual ballot. And I researched everybody as far back, whatever I could find on the internet, you know? Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, at that election, basically, and, and this one too, basically whoever the mainstream media tells me to vote for, I'm not voting for that person. Guaranteed. <laughs> okay. So, so I, but I, I was able to research. And I, that part of that waking up process is kind of what I'm hanging my hat on this time. That I hope people can see me for somebody with principle, somebody willing. I mean, <laughs> if me running as a complete nobody is not going against the grain, um, I don't know what is. But I hope that the voters get that. Uh, towards that end, I'm pretty stubborn. Uh, some of the other things that um, you know, I've I've uh, made promises is that I'm not going to run for any more than two terms. I, I okay. Want to be part You're of the, term limit yourself. Okay. I'll term limit myself. I don't think that term limits should exist. I think apathy should not exist. But that being said, I'll term limit myself. Uh, the other thing is, I will not buy or sell any stocks during my tenure in office. Not going to do it. Okay. I think right now I've got a few shares in in some ammunitions stock and I own a stock or a couple of shares in GameStop that I still haven't sold. <laughs> so that, that'll also tell you my level of uh, stubbornness and commitment to, to things I f- feel are very important. Yep. Well, no. So so let's kind of talk about a couple other subjects before we close out here. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, not 
buying and selling stocks. You know, this kind of goes to the thing that we all know happens in D.C. People get corrupted with time as they're exposed to power and influence and money. So just kind of wanted you to give us your sense of why you think that you can survive in that environment. You know, what do you have in your past or what can you say that can give the voters confidence that you're not going to go to D.C. like so many have before you and become, you know, a part of the swamp or part of the system? Hmm. What could a fellow say to say, no, truly trust me versus truly trust the other guy? I'm an Eagle Scout. <laughs> I guess I've got that going for me. It's a good me. start. <laughs> um, I guess the process by which I'm I'm applying myself, you know, it takes a lot of guts for somebody to step up to the plate, refuse campaign donations, try to reach the people directly, and my past uh, experiences as a business owner, um, boy, I hope that I can be able to answer this question better after my death because, <laughs> you know, I mean, what you just answer is how do you convey your true nature to anybody? And it'd be easy enough for me to, to point out people that know me to say, yeah, he'll stick by what he says he'll do. So I guess uh, give me one term, and if I haven't proved that, then I'm a liar and boot me out. Please don't give me what. How long has Simpson been in? Sixteen. To, stop <laughs> yeah, it, people! Yeah. Stop <laughs> it! I don't care how well intentioned a man is. That that level of influence, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The reason why I don't believe in term limits is because there are some phenomenal people that know this, I, I, you can't be in Congress for two terms and know how to manipulate the system. Mm -hmm. That's not my ambition. My ambition is to shake it up and get people in there, get, get that idea to follow through, get these ideas to repeal the 16th and the 17th Amendment. I have some plans I don't really want to convey on right now for how to really shake up the next election, whether I'm a part of it, it's easier for me to do it if I'm a part of it, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, well, let's, um, let's kind of finish on this note then, because obviously there's a lot of things going on in the country right now that, um, Congress weighs in on in one way or another, but one of them is we're looking at, you know, the situation over in Europe and, you know, we usually talk about the house specifically in terms of domestic issues, but the powers of the purse still reside with the Congress, and that's how we pay for things, you know, like foreign interventions overseas, aid to other countries. So when it comes to foreign policy and kind of things that are going on in the news with Ukraine, where, where do you stand on these types of issues? Oddly enough, my position on it is the same as welfare, and that is if somebody does not earn something, they do not understand the value of it. And I do not want to leave the people hanging high and dry in Ukraine. But I also, my again, my spidey senses are going off pretty, pretty thick as far as what side of this conflict to be on. You know, it's obvious, don't support the Russians. I mean, you just don't, that's horrible. But there's more to the story. There's more, 
It's hard to get into this conversation without sounding like a conspiracy theorist, but the reality is, is that the Great Reset is a thing. Mm -hmm. It's not just a conspiracy. It's actively being pushed. And all of the players around it are – I mean, you got Davos no, I mean, that's, that, right that, there. That, that's not conspiracy theory. I mean, there's, we've had a lot of candidates on. We and know we don't know. Yeah. It's, we know we don't know it. The, the great the great reset, the uh, ESG scores Holy and the crap. social credit don't system. Let me start on that stuff. Yeah, that's all that, – yeah, that's, that's all real stuff. So let's narrow it down to foreign policy though because this is something that Congress does weigh in on. You know, because, you know, the president has, of course, a lot of power in the foreign policy sphere, but the Congress has to go along to fund and and they have an influence. So, you know, it, when it comes well, to... Well, inter- you said it wrong there. Yeah. That it should come through the Congress. Well, absolutely. If we okay. go to go the original construct, <laughs> yes, the power, to, the power yes. to declare war yes. is the power of the Congress. Unfortunately, in the modern right. in the modern day, the way take the that back runs. too. But <laughs> so I, I mean, my, the conversation started off with the sixteenth and seventeenth amendment. But if you can get rid of those, you bring it back to the founding. You bring it back to the concepts that we're really built on, and we've undermined that. We've undermined it by taking away the power of the purse. Congress is weak right now. The uh, the bloviated um, executive branch, that's where all the problem is. That's where all the, the power and the control is. And if you don't have somebody willing to – what has our current congressman done in the last however many years to, to, to curtail that? Though that Besides that's vote what, like a Democrat? Yeah, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm against. <laughs> that's what I'm opposing. To me – it's that bigger picture stuff. Well, that's let me ask this very, very direct. Given the information that you know now, do you think that we should militarily intervene on behalf of Ukraine? Given what we know now, I know facts change, things like that. What we know now, no. Okay, good. But I, I've been there. I, I don't want to need. Would, would I be willing? You know, if this was World War II again. What about we do? Would I be willing to? Yeah, I'm saying based on what we know now. Obviously, just, situation yeah. overseas could change, but just kind of want to get your your feel on foreign policy of, based on what we know now, is this a conflict that we should be intervening in? But the problem is, is, is what we know now. Where is that coming? Where's those loud voices? And it's it's amazing that that narrative shift that's happening right now. Oh no, I think it's a very valid point. This is the same media that lied to us about COVID. So why should we take everything they say at face value now? No, that's a very valid. Now, now that being said, um, I have tremendous empathy for the the Ukrainian people. Yes, obviously, obviously Russia is the aggressor here and, and, you know, their invasion is... There are some serious designs to bring us into war that at this point need to be avoided at all costs based on just the merits of who's talking right now alone. Okay. I don't trust it. So, no, I think those are, that, those are uh, very valid. That's concerns. a big no for me at the moment. But um, that being said, there's some... Why are we even having this discussion when all we have to do is just restore our own energy independence? Doesn't that just stop everything immediately? Well, it doesn't stop what other countries do, but it does reduce our our dependence, obviously, on any other country. There, and there's it gives no us different reason, tools, yeah. there, absolutely no reason why Putin would have any interest in Ukraine unless it was for that the strength of their oil and the the reserves that they have recently discovered since like 2014. B- barely any reason. If you take away all of that from him right now. It's it's over, and and but they're not willing to do that. Why? That seems so crazy to me. 
drill. Do it. Open up this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and ramp up our domestic energy production would help all sorts of things. So, Flint, I just wanted to make sure before we close out here, is there is there anything that we didn't discuss that you want to bring up in the interview? Anything with your with your campaign? I mean, you're not taking donations, but is there a place where people can go to learn more about what you're running on and learn more about you? Yep, you can uh, go to ourmanflint.org. Ourmanflint.org. Kind of a play off the old James Colburn movie, if you remember (laughs) that one. Um, Please vote. Just please vote. We need to get more people engaged in the primaries, especially. So. And you said you had an event coming up. When? Where is that? So, so uh, yeah, um, it'll be in our first one. It will be this Saturday, at um, in Shelley, Idaho. And you can see the the website and everything, or the location and everything on our website. So, and also um, Flint. I don't remember if it's, I think it's Flint L. Christensen for Congress is our Facebook page too. And that's probably the best because I, I try to speak my mind and, and post everything daily. So if you want to learn more about me and kind of how I think. So check out your join, Facebook feed? Yep. Even though I've, for now, I'm always banned on Facebook. So <laughs> so uh, I'm there now. So please All join right, me. Flint. Well, hey, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate and it. And for coming out ahead of Speaks. Uh, to the rest of our listeners up, out there, obviously we've reached the end of the interview, but we have not reached the end of the campaign season. There's still, you know, a long road ahead for a lot of these candidates, a lot of things to do. The time is running short, but there's a lot of things that have to happen between now and the primary. So again, thank you for listening to Idaho Speaks. We've reached the end of the episode, but not the end of the issue. Please share this episode with your friends and family. If you have questions or would like to share your own issues and ideas, visit www.idahospeaks.com and click Share an Issue. Your state, your voice, Idaho Speaks.